Hello, everybody. Special announcement. We are going to, in the near future, continue this series of inspirational kings with Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., then Malcolm X, Marcus Garvey, and Kobe Bryant. Yes. So tune in to some fabulous, fabulous podcasting as we, or as I, going to be interviewing um, Precious Bridges on how she has overcome so many obstacles to finally be victorious in life. Um, Also, too, we are going to have a feature interview with uh, J.S. Beauty Boutique owner, yes, Miss Tisha Tonika. So stay tuned for some wonderful, wonderful, wonderful content as Inner Visions of the Inspired Podcast is going on another level. Much love to all of you for tuning in. And remember, we change people's lives one day at a time. If I can do it, you can definitely do it as well because you guys have really inspired me to continue on this positive journey to helping people out. So I want to say to the listeners, I love you very deeply and I will talk to you real soon. Across the globe. This here is Inner Visions, better known as Raymond Ricks II. Some people call me Sun Ra Ricks. That's where I got, well, I actually got the name Sun Ra from a famous jazz musician who has inspired me to live a peaceful life. Um, rest in peace to Sun Ra. But um, this is a special episode um, where I talk about. Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. Yes. Um, I'm also, I'm going to talk about him. Part one of Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., his battle with mental health issues and how he overcame it to become one of the world's greatest world leaders ever. And how he became a great scholar with a doctorate's degree, how he became one of the best and how he inspired millions all across the globe. So sit back, relax, and let's enjoy this segment of Inner Visions of the Inspired Podcast. Let's get it. Good morning, everyone, and welcome to a special edition of Inner Visions of the Inspired Podcast, where we talk about 
the greatness of Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. Yes, um, you know, when I first heard of Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., you know, I was a kid and um, my dad took me in Atlanta, Georgia. It was me and my brother, my dad and my mom. Uh, we went to see the monument of Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. And it was one of the best experiences I've had uh, when I was over in Atlanta, Georgia. I think I was seven and it, it was a beautiful experience, man. Just learning the greatness of Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. And when I think about it, it almost, it almost brings me into some sort of emotion. It's like, man, his positive energy, his wisdom, his knowledge has touched many people's hearts. And he sacrificed his own life for the better good of the people. Um, everybody. Um, the people who say he was a sellout. I'm talking about the Pan-Africanists. Let me tell you something. He did more for this country. He did more for this world in one day than you guys have done in a lifetime, man. Y'all have no business calling him a sellout. It bothers me. It really has. Man. Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. Is, is such an amazing human being who has done a lot of humanitarian works. And um, I want to read. This is a special episode because we want to talk about Dr. Martin Luther King Jr.'s, excuse me, let me get my words right. I'm going to talk about how he overcame depression and empathy. Now, I'm on this um, link, Constellation Behavior Health. They're the ones that did this um, article by... uh, Christy Walter, you know, and I'm going to read bits and pieces of it, and I'm going to give you my little spin on it. Dr. Martin Luther King Jr.'s civil rights activism and ministries impacted so many people's lives in the history in countless ways, but historians such as Dr. Nasir Gaimi in his book, First Rate Madness, which I would check it out. It would uncover the links between leadership and mental illness. And what people didn't really realize or didn't know was that Dr. King had his struggles with, he has deep struggles with depression and suicide tendency. All right. Now, it also says Gaimi, who runs the Mood Disorders Program at Tufts Medical Center in Boston, noted in a blog post on psychology today, Dr. Martin Luther King, depressed and and creatively maladjusted. Dr. King knew what it meant to be maladjusted 
psychologically because he was not normal. Psychiatrically, he had multiple periods of severe depression and twice made suicide attempts as a child. Near the end of his life, some of his staff tried to get him into a, psych a psychiatric treatment, but he refused. So that is something that I never really knew about until now. All right, because I wanted to link, you know, my theme of my podcast into Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. And um, his birthday is coming up Sunday. So I wanted to definitely honor his work. But I want to read this. This is really something here. According to historians, Dr. King experienced great highs and lows. Noted experiences include he attempted suicide twice before the age of 13. As an adult, he experienced several bouts of severe depression. He kept his incidents with depression in a closely held secret due to the mental health stigma at that time and concerned civil rights opponents would use it against him. So I, I want to tell you how great this man is. Um, he could have talked about it with people. He could have shared it in his pulpit. But he has decided to sacrifice himself so that he can fight for equal justice for everybody including African Americans. He knew that the racial issues that had occurred in America was going off the deep rails and he was in a fight. He was in a fight for the people, but he also put his life on the line. It is very similar to the story of Jesus the Christ. Where, where he fight for the people and where the people were being um, enslaved, people being brutalized, abused due to laws, due to elites. And Dr. King decided he would put his life on the line to help others rather than to help his own situation. So that really is, he was the original Mamba mentality kind of person, him and uh, Malcolm X. The more King became an integral leader in the civil rights movement, his depression intensified. In 1959, three years after beginning his public life, King felt depleted. What I have been doing is giving, giving, giving and not stopping to retreat and meditate like I should to come back. If the situation is not changed, I will be physically and psychological wreck. I have to recognize my personality and reorient my life. I have been too long in the crowd, too long in the forest. Now it's also um, in this article, Despite his struggles with severe depression, living his life under the constant threat of physical harm 
in assassination attempts, numerous arrests for peaceful pro-civil disobedience, hostile threats, and accusations, King never wavered in his convictions, beliefs, objectives, and dedication to fight racial equality. During this time of hope and change, and as we remember Dr. King, let's honor the greatness and legacy. And that's what we're going to do, all right? That's what we're going to do. I'm gonna tell you about his greatness, all right? Let's, let's talk about it. All right. Dr. King, who is um, the most prominent American minister and activist ever. And he was a huge leader in the civil rights movement from 1955 until his assassination around 1968 in Memphis, Tennessee. He was a leader in the church, but also a major leader outside of the church. All right, he believed in nonviolence and he inspired people with his Christian beliefs, but his nonviolent activism came from Mahatma Gandhi. That's where his non-violent approach went. Okay. Um, there were a lot of prominent scholars that thought that, especially Dr. Umar Johnson, was kind of worried that he took his non-violent approach and got it from Mahatma Gandhi because there were um, readings about Gandhi's relationship with darker skinned people that he actually did not have a great relationship with or made racial um, what is it racial epitomes against blacks now I need to do a little bit more research before I can make that a fact but it's something to look up. So while I commend Dr. King for his um, nonviolent approach, sometimes it could be a detriment to his movement. So I don't want to hear that he was a sellout. He wasn't even a sellout. He was a true fighter and a true warrior. All right. You still have people throwing dirt in his name, which kind of bothers me. But um, how about this? He had the Nobel Peace Prize in 1964, um, Presidential Medal of Freedom, post postmodernist. 1977 and he had a gold medal, a congressional gold medal um, which was something 
beautiful. All right. Talk about its education. All right. Let me see. Let me see. All right. Let me, let me read. In his childhood home, Dr. King and his two siblings would read about the Bible out loud. And their father was very strict about it. All right. School was very important. All right. And his father said that King was the most uh, peculiar, <clears throat> particularly child whether you whipped him. I'm sorry, let me repeat that. King was the most peculiar child whenever you whip him. He'd stand there and the tears would run down. He never cried. Once when King, <clears throat> when Dr. King witnessed his brother, A.D. emotionally upset his sister Christine, he took a telephone and knocked out A.D. with it. When he and his brother were playing at their home, A.D. slid from a banister and hit into their grandmother, Janine, causing her to fall unresponsive. King believed her death, blaming himself and attempted suicide by jumping for jumping from a second-story window. Upon hearing that his grandmother was alive, King rose and left the ground where he had fallen. All right. And he had some white friends. And he had a father who owned a business across the street from the family's home. Talk about the white guy's father. They've, um, the boys were about six years old. They started school. King had to attend a school for black children. Young Street Elementary School. And his friend went to a separate school for white children only. Soon afterwards, the parents of the white boy stopped allowing King to play with their son, stating to him, we are white and you are colored. Racism was very bad. Jim Crow laws were very horrible. It was, it was very, very tense racially and it was very bad. parents told King of the happenings and they had the long discussion with him on the history of slavery and racism. Alright. And they would preach to him the importance of Christianity and that you have to have a big heart and love on everybody no matter what. His father didn't play when it comes to segregation and discrimination. He was a stand-up guy just like Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. All right. So Dr. King had a strong family. All right. So let's talk about 
is a, let's talk about him as a um, college student. All right. But before, Dr. King gave a powerful speech in his junior year in high school and um, in Georgia. And his speech was like, Black America still wears chain. The finest Negro is at the mercy of the meanest white man. Even winners of our highest honors face the class color bar. All right. And he was the winner of the contest. But the driver of the bus called King a black son of a bitch. If I were Dr. King, I would call the bus driver's mom a white son of a bitch. Yeah, I said it. <laughs> now his teacher would be like, King will be breaking the law if he did not follow the directions of that bus driver. And unfortunately, he and his teacher were forced to stand on the rest of the drive back to Atlanta. Later, King wrote of the incident saying, that night will never leave my memory. It was the angriest I have ever been in his life, in his memoir. But in um, Morehouse College, a historically black college for men, that King's father and maternal grandfather had attended, began accepting high school juniors who passed the school's entrance exam. All right. Now, in World War II was under, excuse me, was underway. Many black college students had been enlisted in the war, decreasing the numbers of students at Morehouse College. So the university aimed to increase their student numbers by allowing junior high school students to apply. In 1944, at the age of 15, King passed the entrance examination and was enrolled at the university for the school season that autumn. In the summer before King started the freshman year at Morehouse, he boarded with a train with his friend Emmett Proctor and a group of other Morehouse College students to work at Simsbury, Connecticut. All right, so if I'm reading an article, I'm reading an article. Yes, I am. <laughs> Very little that people know that he and other students work at a farm to provide for their educational costs. So his family didn't help. He earned it on his own without a scholarship. He paid his way through college. So he was determined to create greatness for himself. You know, he didn't need help from anybody and so forth. He even paid for his own tuition, housing, and other fees. All right. And he was a football player. All right, he was a football player at the age of 18. He chose to enter ministry. Throughout his time in college, 
King would study with the mentorship of his present Baptist minister, Benjamin Mays, who he will later credit it with being his spiritual mentor. All right, let's talk about this here. King graduated from Morehouse with, with a Bachelor's of Arts in 1948 at age 19. At age 19, a Bachelor's of Arts. And he also, um, at a young age, had a doctorate's degree. Let me read this. King graduated with a Bachelor's of Divinity degree in 1951 when he applied in the University of Edinburgh to do his doctorate in the School of Divinity. And um, he chose Boston University. And he began his doctorate studies in systematic theology in Boston University while pursuing doctor, <clears throat> doctoral studies. Yes. So he attended philosophy classes at Harvard University as an audit student in 1952 and 53. But at the age of 25 in 1954, King was called as pastor of the Dexter Avenue Baptist Church in Montgomery, Alabama. He received his PhD in June 5, 1955. I believe it was the age of 25 or 26. I, I believe it's 25 years old. 25. One of the most brilliant human beings that you'll ever see. Yes, yes, yes. Yes. And um, this man was very educated. He was powerful of the mind. He really was. Um, I want to discuss... Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. 63 through 68. All right. Hold on one second. This was after the um, I Have a Dream speech. Now, the forgotten years. And I'm going to tell you why it is a forgotten years that the uh, that a lot of Christians and a lot of people who want to they want to forget because the truth Savior was coming out. All right. I want to read this here. We have not progressed as far as King's dream because we have not addressed the systematic issues 
he was addressing, especially in the years between 63 to 68. Believe it or not, Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. and Malcolm X, they met during those times. And there was rumors that those two have secretly met. And you can see the change. You can see the change in his tone and his movement. We cannot make true and sustainable progress towards equal opportunity without making more thorough systematic change. That's right. The civil rights legislation of the 1960s addressed some of the systemic problems facing African Americans, such as poverty, equal opportunity, And he said, until we take more systemic approach to the issue of poverty, we will likely not make much progress towards equal opportunity. So basically, that situation, the sanitary incident to where a lot of African-Americans in Memphis, Tennessee, who either died or had less pay, they had to deal with grotesque conditions. And Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. headed in that area before he was assassinated. He told the people, if you have to, and this is what he said, he wanted African-Americans to boycott white-owned businesses. Boycott until you get equal rights, until they start treating you better. But those companies that will not treat you better, boycott them. Don't buy their products. Don't spend money over there in such nature. And I think some of us forgotten that message. He said... And he regretted regretted the I Have a Dream speech because he said that he was afraid that he would let his congregation and the people into a burning fire with that message. And it was the influence of one Malcolm X that has made him realize that his peaceful protests, marches, was doing him no good. It wasn't accomplishing anything. And J. Edgar Hoover said that Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. was the most dangerous person in the world. And in actuality, J. Edgar Hoover is an African-American, but he was passed for white. That's right. And I I strongly feel that J. Edgar Hoover and his men played a huge role in the um, assassination of Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. Even though they didn't pull the trigger, 
they had a blueprint on how to stop him. But there was also a doctor in Memphis, Tennessee that suffocated Dr. King. Now, Dr. King did not die in the assassination. He did not die. He was going to make a full recovery, but the surgeon or the doctor who's in charge of the hospital wanted everybody out of the room and suffocated Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. Suffocated him because of racial hatred, racial bigotry, and ignorance. You know, because he was there for the support of the sanitary public works employees. And the workers have been on strike since, since March the 12th for higher wages and better treatment. Yet black street repairmen received pay for two hours when they were sent home because of bad weather. But white employees were paid for the full day. Now they say that Dr. King was fatally shot by James Earl Ray. But there was evidence, and I mean evidence, that James Earl Ray had nothing to do with it. Nothing. And um, in the autopsy, they said that he had a heart of a 60-year-old. Because of the stress that he dealt, but when we will, when we look at another autopsy, that there was hardly any circulation going into the heart, which had to be caused by suffocation or a lack of air going through the nose passage. Had nothing to do with stress. Nothing. So we had the 60s was a crazy year, a crazy decade. The 70s, I feel like that's when I believe Black America, you know, they kind of gave up. Because it was the era of drugs, cocaine, and being lost. You had the Afro pubs, you have the bell bottoms. But you can see our people were lost. We made great music, great movies, but mentally was totally, totally lost. And I think psychologically, the assassination of Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. and Malcolm X contributed to it. 
But Dr. King was such an amazing human being, an amazing father, an amazing fighter, an amazing humanitarian and world peace leader. He was no globalist, but his efforts and his work has reached out and touched the lives and hearts of so many people outside outside of America. That's right. So my final thoughts is no matter what conditions or what you're going through, never give up the fight for your destiny. Never give up the fight for your goals. Never give up the fight for your passion. If Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. can get a doctorate's degree at an early age and get a uh, bachelor's degree at what, 17 or 18 years old, and he was battling with depression and suicide, then there's no excuse for you to sit back and watch yourself lose. Winning isn't everything, but it is the only thing. Remember that. I love all of you. And I want to give a big special shout out to my wife, Jennifer, my son, Raymond Rex III, my parents, my brother Brandon, Marco Flowers, Tez Flowers, Monet Brown, as she is doing Monet's Bar Talk. Ms. Moni over on Instagram. Stacy Praz, Elevate with Vern, Dash T-shirts, JK and Trucker. I am Shells X, Warriors Dreams Cosmetics, Hypnotic Skincare, Sexy in Seconds Boutique, The Crazy Kirk Girl, and um, my uh, celebrity friends or my celebrity admirers who follow me. Angela Means, AKA Felicia from Friday. Much love to you. Melva Moore, who also follows me, but I follow her too. I admire you. I love you. Um, who else? Shirley Jones, Cam Jones, the Jones family. I love you. Um, Natia Nicole um, Indie Sensation and Award winner Socorro Jones Much love to you Um, Who else, who else, who else, who else, who else I hope I didn't forget anybody but I want to give a special shout out to the beautiful See Asia, who is an activist in Newark, New Jersey, now a spiritual coach. Indie sensation, Kush Nubit. But we're going to give a bigger shout out. We're going to give a bigger, oh, I can't forget about my co-pilot, Alicia Coleman. 
cannot forget about the wonderful work of WGAG's own Don Nicoleone. One of the best. Yes. Don Nicoleone, what's going on? What's going on? I'm hoping that your show will start off soon because I miss it. I really do miss it. I do. You create good content and there's somebody out there that really, really loves your work. And that is me. Also, never TD surviving the game. Much love to you, Cliff Lowry, Big Sav, Arish Degal 2020. Yes, um, Michael Davenport, Miss Hudson, Boss Lady, Naturo 360, all of you. So, that's my shout out. And much love to everybody all across the globe from Puerto Rico to um, Ben Nuis, California. Tacoma, Washington, Seattle, Washington, Los Angeles, California, Columbus, Ohio. Much love to all of you out there. Tune in. Much love. And I'll see y'all in the next go round. Much love.